Well, it's great to be uh, with you this morning, whether you're here in, in person or online. Uh, I wanted to see Flat Sandley preaching. I wanted to maybe be a little encouragement to me. Whew. I do have a correction from when I preached three weeks ago. Uh, three weeks ago I said I don't think hope has a director of love, uh, but that it was our responsibility, each and every one of us, to help make hope a more loving place. Uh, I've been corrected a number of times about that, or by the same person a number of times, um, that, uh, that Lori Weinchek is, is indeed the director of hope, of love here at Hope. So if you have any doubts about that, go up and look at her name tag on her door. It says it right there, director of love does. And uh, see, we all knew that anyways, that's why it wouldn't have been funny. So it's not that Mark isn't loving, but uh, he is a great court jester, I've seen. Great juggler. So maybe you'll see his, if you go online, you can see his juggling skills. So a little correction there. So I've got a uh, song uh, trivia uh, question for you this morning, and uh, this applies for you online too. If you type in an answer within the, the first minute, you get a prize too. And if you know anything about me, the prize involves chocolate. So i got three prizes for you this morning. So you have to give me a song title and, and the one who sang it that includes a description of a heart. So it has to say blank heart. Okay? Go ahead. Volunteer. Oh, first one. Achy breaky heart. That's been the top one every time I've asked it. First one. Okay, so you get a prize. I saw another hand over here. Yes? Yes, by Steve Perry. Yes, that's an answer. You get a winner. We got another one. Which one? Kind of. Who, who sang that one? Oh, you. <laughs> All right, you get a prize for that. You will get a kind heart. Okay. One more. One more. By who? Oh, okay. It's not on my list, but we'll give it to her. We'll give it to her. So, so after the service, you come up here and you get a, you get a prize. But we got we got Hungry Heart by Springsteen, Burning Heart, Survivor, owner of a lonely heart. Come on, people, work with me or wake up now. Wake up. My paper heart, your cheating heart. Some, some of you may know, remember old Hank Williams. Yes, foolish heart. Yeah, achy break. All right, good job, good job. So we got some, uh, we got some winners. You may think, what does that have to do with anything? Well, what that has to do with the message today is that the gospel finally goes on a road trip. The gospel had been preached in Jerusalem up to this point in Acts chapter 8 for probably six to seven years is the timeline. So sometimes we read it real quick and we're like, okay, it's the next day. No, it's been like six years and the gospel hasn't taken a road trip yet. But we know because of the persecution that began, especially with Saul, that Pastor Matt preached on last week, that the gospel took a road trip. And it encountered three different types of hearts when it did. Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. 
Well, this is kind of a mid-step because the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we'll see how the power of God is unleashed when it encounters these three different type of hearts. If I would ask you this morning to pick one word to describe your heart, what would it be? I hope maybe it would be one of these three. Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. I'll begin reading of verse 4. But the first heart here is when the, the gospel encounters seeking hearts. Seeking hearts. Those who, who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip is one of the men, the apostles laid their hands on, one of the seven to, to, uh, to help disperse the, the, the funds and the money and the resources that were coming into the church to meet needs, and especially the needs of the widows in Acts chapter 6. But just like Stephen, who also was, was prayed for at that time, Philip also proclaimed the good news. And God also gave him uh, power to do great wonders and miraculous signs. And so here's a crucial phrase in, in, that Luke includes for us in verse 6 to describe these Samaritans. That when they heard Philip and saw the signs, they all paid close attention to what he was saying. I mean, it's kind of like they, they, were, they were on the edge of their seat. They were wanting to hear what he had to say. It's because they had hearts that were seeking the truth, hearts that were seeking after God. Because, you know, not everyone who saw a miracle had a heart that was seeking after God. Many of the Jewish leaders saw the miracles that Jesus did, but Jesus said, your hearts are far from God. You have hard hearts. Many of the people in Jerusalem saw the miracles the apostles were doing, but it didn't impact them because they didn't have hearts that were seeking after God. And yet when Philip goes down to Samaria and begins to preach the good news of Christ, they had hearts that were seeking after him. Here is God's promise that if you seek after him with all of your heart, you will find him. Deuteronomy 4.29, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You see, these Samaritans were considered half-breeds, I'd mentioned, both racially and religiously. And this goes all the way back to King Solomon. You remember after his death, there was a, a division. The 12 tribes split up. The 10 went to the northern kingdom and two to the southern kingdom, and they fought against each other. There was animosity against each other. They had wars against each other. Years later, the Assyrians attacked the northern tribes, <clears throat> and as was their custom, they interbred with the people that they, they attacked so that those people would later become also Assyrians, and so it would kind of be longevity for the kingdom. 
And so these people in the northern kingdom were half Jews and half Assyrians. To add to the negative attitudes, when the people had the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem after the temple had been destroyed and to rebuild it, the Samaritans wouldn't help. As a matter of fact, they built another temple on Mount Gerizim and worshiped there. You remember the, the woman at the well? When Jesus went into Samaria, talked about, well, we sure we worship over there. They also joined the Seleucids in fighting the Jews in a military conflict just a couple hundred years earlier. So <clears throat> there was great animosity. And yet Philip goes down there preaching the good news. And the power of God is unleashed with these hearts that are seeking after him. These people that maybe felt like they were outsiders, that they were half-breeds, that they weren't in Jerusalem, maybe even rejected by God. But now, because of Jesus, they were accepted by God. Verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. Great joy because of the power of the gospel that was being unleashed and lives that were being changed. You know, Saul tried to squash the gospel. He tried to imprison it, beat it, but instead it spread to seeking hearts. And the gospel's been doing that ever since. Governments have tried to squash the gospel. I mean, think of the Chinese government for years. They have destroyed churches, destroyed Bibles, put pastors in prison. And yet, there is an estimated 75 million believers in China today seeking after God in places that we would never imagine. Do you have a seeking heart? Is your heart seeking after God? Number two, when the gospel encounters repentant hearts, I follow along as I pick up on verse 9. Now for some time there was a man named Simon who practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power, known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished at the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent 
of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So in Samaria, we come across this interesting character named Simon. He had quite the following. He had amazed people with his magic for years. Rome even believed in his greatness and made a statue of him in his honor. But for all his magic, fortunes, sorcery, whatever he did, he could never change someone's heart. For all that he could do, he could not help someone get closer to God. He couldn't help them get victory over the sin in their life that destroyed. For all his amazement, their lives were not changed. They were amazed, but no different. So when Philip not only showed the power of God, but preached the truth of what Jesus did for them, their lives were changed. Luke records, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You remember in Acts 2, the people were asking, what should we do to Peter? And he said, repent and be baptized. You know, when baptism reflects a repentant heart, it is a beautiful thing. You see, when we go into the water of baptism, we are identifying with the death of Christ. And by that, we're not only saying that we believe that Jesus died for me and for my sins, what we're saying is that I'm willing to die to myself, that I don't want to be that person anymore who was living contrary to Christ, opposed to Christ. I don't want to be that person anymore. I know that my sin has been ugly in the eyes of God, but I am claiming the forgiveness of Jesus. And when we come out of the water, we're identifying with the resurrection of Jesus and not only are we saying we believe that Jesus defeated death for me, but that I can also now live in his life, in his power, in this resurrection power. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, Paul writes. Baptism is not just an event. It's a lifestyle, every day, dying to ourself and living to Christ. Dying to ourself and allowing the resurrection power of Christ to change us and to mold us. I loved a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, when there was a baptism at Hope down in the pool. There was one young man who got baptized who quoted Galatians 2.20. Maybe you're here today. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live in the name or in the power of Jesus, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That was a beautiful expression 
of baptism. For many people, this was their baptism really reflected a repentant heart. But for others, you know, sometimes it's easy just to kind of go along with the crowd, even when it's maybe a good thing. Simon, it says he believed. He got baptized. But we know by what unfolds that it was not a reflection of a repentant heart. You see, when the, the apostles came down to, to verify what happened, you see, because this was a huge event for the first time, the gospel being preached to not 100% Jews. And so the apostles came down to verify that, that they had indeed received the good news. And how would God verify that except through the Holy Spirit? You see, sometimes people will use this passage to say believers need to experience the Holy Spirit sometime later after baptism. But that, this is the only time it happens in the Bible. And nowhere does the Bible teach that. I think what happens, this is a one-time event, a unique event where the gospel is now going to Samaria. And, and the church needed to realize that these people, this was a genuine experience. That they had truly received the gift of Christ. So not only did the apostles and the church need to see that, but the, the Samaritans themselves needed to sense that this is real. That we are now included in what God is doing. And so when the apostles come, they pray and they receive the Spirit just like they did in Acts chapter 2. And it'll happen the same thing with the Gentiles. When they first believe, the Holy Spirit comes on them. And that's when the church knows, how can we argue? They've received the same Spirit as we have. There was a Jewish prayer that said, Lord, do not remember the Samaritans at the resurrection. That's how they felt. You remember the last time John was on the border of Samaria? Jesus and John, the disciples, were going to Samaria and they wouldn't let him in. And John and his brother, you know what they said? Can we pray that God's judgment, God's fire will come down upon them? But now what is John praying? He's laying his hands on them and praying that God's fire comes down upon them. But the gift of the Holy Spirit, the one who baptizes in fire, the one who brings the life of Christ would come upon them. What a beautiful event. Simon sees this and he thinks, hey, this is cool. I want to add this to my bag of tricks. But he wasn't thinking that for the glory of Christ. He was thinking of that for his own glory, his own reputation. He wanted to have that ability to, to, to lay on hands on people because then the attention would be upon himself where that's what it was. It was always to be upon Christ. And so the disciples, the apostles, have some pretty harsh words for him because they knew what was going on in his heart. They basically said, may your money and you perish in hell because that's what your heart is doing right now. Repent of this wickedness. See, he hadn't repented. He had joined kind of the actions of it, but it didn't reflect a repentant heart who truly wanted Christ on the throne of his life, the kingdom of God in his life. You're full of bitterness, they said, and captive to sin. 
he does pray that, or he asks them to pray for him, but I don't think that was genuine either. Literature, later literature reports that he became a vigorous opponent to the gospel. And not only that, he somewhat mocked it. He, he boasted to his followers that if they would bury him on the third day, he would rise again. His bones are still there. <laughs> his body is still there. You see, Simon squandered his opportunity to embrace the gospel with a repentant heart. And for eternity, he will experience the consequences of that. Do you have a repentant heart? Has your heart turned to Christ and embraced him with all that you are? The gospel is powerful when it meets repentant hearts. Thirdly, when the gospel encounters hungry hearts. Follow along as I read, pick up um, reading there. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the deserted road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before the shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotoas and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip wasn't done. God had more for him to do, and he sent him to a deserted road. You never know where you will find a heart hungry for God. And sometimes they may be in the most unexpected places. It just so happened, <clears throat> it just so happened, that's how God does things. God orchestrates lives and intersections. It just so happened that this man was on his way home. He was an important official of the queen of Ethiopia. And it just so happened that he was on his way home from a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You see, at some point in his life, he had heard about the Jewish God and become attracted to the Jewish God. And that stirred in him a hunger 
to get to know that God. He believed being the one true God. And so this man was willing to make a thousand-mile journey, weeks long at that time, just so that he could go worship this God, try to get to know this God. Even though, as an Ethiopian and as a eunuch, he would never be able to go into the temple. He would never even be able to go into the outer gates of the temple because he was an outsider, a foreigner, and a eunuch. He had a number of strikes against him. No matter how devout he became, he would never truly be a Jew. The chosen ones of God. And yet he was willing to take this journey because his heart was so hungry to know God. It just so happened that he is sitting in his chariot reading. So he went to church, and he's reading his Bible after he left church. That shows you how hungry he is for God. He didn't get enough when he was there because he was still an outsider. So he was still reading, trying to learn and get close to God. And Philip gets close to this man and asks him the most important question of his life. Do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. Invites him in there and, and, and says, please tell me who is the, 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 the prophet writing about? And so Philip begins to unfold the scriptures to him, beginning with that one, pointing to Jesus, showing how they all pointed to Jesus, pointing to Jesus and all that Jesus did for him. This man was able to feast his hungry heart on the bread of life. He was able to quench his thirst with the one who could bring springs of water. You remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well? I am the one who can bring rivers of water into your soul. The Ethiopian eunuch experienced this. And now he is overwhelmed by God's grace and his love and that he was once an outsider, but now he is accepted by God. He's welcomed as a child of God. He is an heir to the kingdom, just like believing Jews. He experiences God's grace and he's so overwhelmed. He says, what would prevent me from being baptized right now? And so Philip baptizes him there. Verse 39, he went on his way rejoicing. His heart, his hungry heart, now filled with Christ. You know, then we kind of come to one of the, kind of one of the most <laughs> interesting, confusing, in entertaining verses. It says that the Holy Spirit, whoop, takes Philip. What does that mean? I have no idea. What happened? I have no idea. <laughs> That's one of those things where you get to heaven, you're like, can I watch the video to what happened there? I would love to see what happened to Philip. How, how, how did that happen? And God, why don't you do that more often? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, hey, God, I need to be over there right now. Can you just whoop? But 
it doesn't happen. But for that reason, Philip, God wanted Philip somewhere else. But the most important question is, you know, is your heart hungry for God? Have you sensed that there is nothing that can satisfy? What some call the God-shaped vacuum in your heart? Other relationships can't satisfy that. Money, fame, things, they don't satisfy. There's only one who satisfies the deepest hunger of our heart and our soul, and that's the one who created it, the one who is worthy to sit on the throne in the center of who we are. And the beautiful thing is that God takes not perfect hearts. We don't bring perfect hearts to God. We bring to God broken hearts, sinful hearts, selfish hearts. And God makes them new. He promised a time that I will make your hard hearts and I will give you a new heart. I will replace it with a heart that beats after me, with a heart that knows me, with a heart that longs to have a relationship with me. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Has your heart been changed by the good news of Christ and what Jesus has done for you? Because the goal then is that God wants to use our hearts. Maybe you read like Philip and you're like, man, I would love to be used like Philip. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome to be there at that moment of that intersection where the good news and the power of God invades someone's heart? Well, I think Philip gives us kind of some good steps if you want to be used by him just quickly as we end here. If you want to have a useful heart, Kind of like Thomas wanted to be a very useful engine. <laughs> you remember that? Maybe some of the kids know that. Thomas the tank engine. Number one, step one, be open to where God wants to use you. As I read about Philip, it looks like well, however God wanted to use him. Help with the widows, he'd help with the widows. Go down to Samaria, go down to Samaria. Go down a deserted road, I'll go down a deserted road. God, however you can use me. Step two, get close to those who are hungry, to non-believers, those who are seeking. Get close. Just like Philip went up to the chariot and God said, just get close. If we're going to be used by God, we need to walk closely with those who potentially are seeking after Him, hungry for Him. They may not look like it on the outside, but they are. So you look for those clues as you walk alongside, and sometimes that takes time, it takes intentionality, takes a commitment. But then step three, you look and listen for open spiritual doors. You know, what is going on in their heart? Listen for fear, doubt, emptiness, shame. What are they watching? What are they reading? What are they listening to to try to fill that? As we have conversations, we listen for cues of what God may be doing in their life. And step four, I think, is a very important one, is get good at asking probing questions. Sometimes we feel like we just got to have all the answers, and we just got to go, you know, just right there it is. But sometimes it's just a matter of asking probing questions, because questions have a way of, of opening up doors so they're not defensive. 
Questions have a way of softening the heart, promoting curiosity, inviting conversation. By using questions, you can kind of meet a person where they're at and just kind of lead them along. Maybe questions like, do you have any fears about the future? Is God, do you feel close to God in your life? Have you ever thought about eternity? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Where is God in your life? Would you like to have a, know to have a relationship with him? Bill Fay's got a, a great book called Share Jesus Without Fear, where he just has questions, lets people talk, open up their heart, what's going on. But then the last question, he says, you know, if, if what you're saying isn't in line with the Bible, would you want to know about it? And if they say yes, there's the open door. If they say no, he says, okay. And he starts walking away. And sometimes he had people say, hey, wait, wait a second, where are you going? Like, you know, expecting him to just kind of keep coming at him. But like, he starts walking away, like, wait a second. He even had some people invite him back after they said no. Because his goal is just to find out, is this heart a hungry heart? Is it seeking after God? And just try to join God where God is working. And the last step is let the Bible do the convincing Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and just had the man read it and explained it. Let the Holy Spirit just work in his heart, open up his eyes to the truth of Jesus. How is your heart today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, beautiful passage of Scripture that shows the gospel invading hearts. Lord, that you are a gracious and powerful God who takes hearts that are confused and messy and broken. And Lord, that you draw us to yourself. That you use things in our lives to show us the emptiness of life without you. The brokenness of life without you. And Lord, we give you praise for Jesus, for dying on the cross for us, so that he could restore what is broken, so that he could fill what is empty, so that sin no longer has to dominate our life, but that your spirit and your presence as we walk with you, and you give us great joy. Lord, may we experience the joy that the Samaritans experienced and that the Ethiopian eunuch experienced great joy because the power of your gospel has been welcomed by seeking repentant, hungry hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.